You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. High fly ball, right field to deep, going back judge. He's on the track, he's at the wall, he leaps! And he makes the play! Oh, what a play by Aaron Judge! Drive, right field, Melendez back on the track. See ya! There's 200. Another home run for Aaron Judge. Number 42, RBI's 90, 91. Amazing. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and the lovely Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I feel like each week we have... Maybe some generic topics that we want to dig into with one person in particular that we'd like to focus on that week. But I think this week was so fun that we have so many different individuals that we need to get to because everyone just came alive away in uh, July. Uh, Aaron Judge especially, I think people are probably going to get sick of hearing his name at some point because this is going to be... I don't think this is going to slow down anytime soon because this has been fun. This has been really fun. And it's really I think it's he has the the opportunity to go on an incredible stretch here so we can get to him. We can get to Austin Riley. We can talk about the man of the hour, Juan Soto, and why the heck everyone's focusing on him so much. Um, and now it's August, and all of a sudden playoffs are becoming a little bit more important. So we have a lot to get to this week. We do, and you know what I want to get to before? And I've meant to do this every single time we've done this podcast, and this is episode five for us, and I'm finally remembering... Where in the world is Mandy Bell? So, (laughs) as Mandy mentioned, she is the Guardian's beat reporter for us at MLB.com. That means that she is on the road when the team is on the road, for the most part. And she finds herself in all different ballparks, all of that. (laughs) So, I know right now she's at home, but where were you over the weekend and where have you been lately? Goodness gracious, I've been everywhere. Um, I'm exhausted, but this has been so much fun. Over the weekend, I was in Tampa. Um, The team was in Boston before that, and I don't get many days off, so I try to take advantage with my husband. And, of course, we're insane, and so we took a trip to Vegas in the middle of all of this, so that didn't really help slow things down. Um, uh, Got out of there before Vegas was flooded, though, so thank God. Um, And then right before that was Chicago, so... And then right before that was uh, All-Star break in L.A. So we've we've been a little bit of everywhere. Um, but yeah, finally home. I, I now remember what my house looks like. So I uh, was starting to forget. So it's it's nice to be back. I love when Mandy's in Chicago because for anyone who doesn't know, I went to college there. And when Mandy and I first became friends, one of the first things I said to her was, when you go to Chicago... 
get a donut from Stan's Donuts. It's a really good donut chain out there in Chicago. Actually started in LA, but all of the chains are now in Chicago. And every time Mandy is covering the Guardians against the White Sox, I get a picture from the press box of a great pocket, which is their best donut. So we could go on and on about that. But we should probably start talking about Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. Wow. I mean, what he is doing this season. Every night I am locked into the Yankee game. Just curious what he will do next. So just to recap what he's done so far. He has 42 home runs as of when we are recording on August 1st. That is the most by any Yankees player before August in a season. He passed Babe Ruth on that list, which is what happens when you're a Yankee. You pass Babe Ruth, you pass Roger Maris. That's just what happens. No big deal. Only two players in MLB history hit more homers than Judge did through the end of July, and it was Barry Bonds in 2001 and Mark McGuire in 98, who both hit 45. And something I've been doing as of Friday, I believe, on MLB.com is tracking his home run pace. So we now have a page on MLB.com where you can check it out. I am doing the math for you. You do not have to do any math to pace it out. He is on pace for 66 home runs this season. We have not seen anyone hit 60 plus since that 01 season. I'm running out of words and numbers for him. It's just amazing to see. I was going to bring that up like I think going when you go to Yankees.com and there's this permanent headline that's your headline of a home run pacer or a home run tracker, however it was worded, that's pretty special to be at least monitoring a single person's home run trek this year, I guess. I mean... When do we ever get to the point that we can start counting down to see if the single season record is going to be broken? I it it just doesn't happen like you said. Like it hasn't even come close to being contested until like since what? 01 is that what you said? Like you start thinking back and how long this has been. Now that's been 20 years, which is hard to believe that that's been 20 years, but um you get to this point and it's just like this is so fun. And I know that the Yankees are you either you love them or you hate them. There's really no in between for baseball fans. But this is something that I think all baseball fans can agree is really, really interesting, really, really fun. And like could be ridiculously special if he's able to do this. I know my perspective's a little different because whenever the Guardians are playing is usually the same time that other teams are playing. So I don't really get the chance to sit down and watch other teams on streaming or TV or whatever it may be because I'm at the ballpark watching the game in front of me. So unless they're playing the Yankees, I don't see this. And so I get all my information through Twitter. Um, And whenever we're sitting there in the press box in Tampa, Tropicana Field over the weekend, 
It became almost a competition between Zach Meisel and I. Zach covers the Guardians for the Athletic. We were both sitting there and it was like, who can update the other first on how many home runs judges had? Because it became ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, he, he, I think he it was 42 that he told me. And he said, yep, judge 42 now. And I think I said, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I thought he started to joke with me at that point because the numbers just started to add up so quickly this is hard to believe that it's happening like this, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun, and I love for him that he is doing this in a contract year. You know, we are not the podcast to get into all of the ins and outs of reporting about, you know, extensions that were turned down, any of that, but it's pretty common knowledge at this point that the Yankees made Aaron Judge an offer at some point before this year. He chose not to take it. And this is going to go down as the ultimate bet-on-yourself season in baseball history, probably in sports history. I mean, Mm -hmm. to go out there, hit probably 60-plus homers, which he'd never done before, which no one has done since he was a kid. And go out there and say, this is how valuable I am. You just have to love that for the player and from the storyline perspective. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. The storyline is is incredible. It's, I, I keep saying it's fun, but it's so fun. Like, I get so excited to just check Twitter now. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting to find out what's going to happen next and, like, Anything could happen at this point. And so I think it was really cool that it happened on Old Timers Day, um, that he had his 200th and that he, you know, keeps going and doing all these things. It was really neat. I was looking through Brian Hoke's story, who covers the Yankees for us, and how you you have all these guys like Willie Randolph, Bernie Williams, Tino Martinez, all of them weighing in on, oh, can Judge do it? And it's just... This this is something that transcends generations of baseball because it just does not happen. And so when you have these guys who played in the 90s or even before that, they're sitting there like betting if they could see something special this year. And I think that's so much fun. I think this could be really, really special in a way, like where he can really start to just put himself in more elite territory than he already is because when you're in the same sentence as Babe Ruth that's pretty elite but I think he's going to do that a couple more times absolutely and I do have a few more judge stats I need to get in because if I go through my Twitter and everything Mm. I've done even just in the last month there's so many I do want to share a few more with the world so he has hit more than 10 homers in three Mm -hmm. straight calendar months now so 11 plus in May, June, and July. That is tied for the second longest streak of consecutive calendar months in a season with more than 10 homers. The only guy to have more consecutive months doing that was Roger Maris in 1961. Of course, that is the American League and Yankee record that judge is chasing the 61 homers in 1961. And I love this list of other guys 
to hit 11 plus homers in three straight months. It, the most recent guy to do it before a judge was Jose Batista in 2010, a little Joey Bats. I love that. <laughs> then we had Barry Bonds in 01, no surprise, McGuire in 99. And then all the way back to Jimmy Fox in 1932, and then Babe Ruth in 1928 and 1920. And one other thing that I want everyone to be on the lookout for this year moving forward is that entering this year, Aaron Judge did not have a walk-off homer in his career. He had a ton of home runs. He had previously had the rookie record before Pete Alonso in 2019 broke it, but he had never hit a walk-off home run. Now he's hit three, which is tied for the most in a season in Yankees history with Mickey Mantle. And if we look overall, there's only three players in baseball history who've had more walk-off homers in a season. And I love this list because it's why I love baseball lists. 2009, Andre Ethier. 1957, Roy Sievers, and 1940, Jimmy Fox each had four walk-off home runs. So, Ethier was a very good player for the Dodgers in that 2000s era, but not a guy you would expect. Roy Sievers is a guy I've seen on lists, but is not necessarily the most well-known. And then a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's not the list I was expecting. Uh, no. I, I saw you had a lot of stats on this document, and I purposely didn't want to look at them because I like hearing them from you first rather than uh, getting a little sneak peek of them. Uh, those were not the names I was expecting. You think of like that type of a stat, you're expecting it to be powerhouses one. You're yeah. expecting it to be all huge namers. And then the first name you read off is Andre Ethier. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> That's the first time I've heard his name probably since those 2000 seasons. So, uh... That's so fun. That's what, that's what makes baseball so great. You can yes. have random people step up and do different things and their names forever in history. And it's it's really, really cool. It could be guys who just are barely even in the major leagues and they somehow left a footprint and their name's going to stay there forever. And maybe they only played one season. And it's so cool because all of that history is there. Baseball's so stats oriented that those names pop up randomly from time to time as we're seeing here. So um I'm really excited to keep watching this every week and seeing where he finds himself in this pursuit of setting a single season record for homers and what other names uh, like Andre Ethier, of course, uh, if he can try to live up to Ethier's le legacy to outduel him in this home run battle. I think it's going to be fun. I love it. But you know what is really fun about baseball and baseball this year? is that technically, by stats, he did not have the best month of July in baseball. I know. Austin Riley of the Braves had the most work per fan graphs at 2.6, the highest weighted runs graded plus, highest slugging percentage, highest OPS, and the most extra base hits of anyone in baseball. Austin Riley single-handedly vaulted himself into the MVP conversation, I think, with what he did this month. Absolutely. And I think uh, we, we have Mark Bowman, who covers the Braves 
for us. And and he just wrote it all yesterday saying the headline literally says that Riley's record breaking July puts him in an NL MVP conversation. And how can it? We sat here and just talked so much about Judge and all the ridiculous numbers that he set. And somehow Austin Riley was better uh, in the big scheme of things here like the big picture you look at what he did and his month was more impressive and if you can get more impressive than Aaron Judge right now you really deserve to be in some sort of conversation so it makes sense that he has propelled himself into this uh MVP debate but I I can't I can't really explain uh, everything that he was able to do like you he led basically all of the majors in nearly every category it seemed like um obviously he felt a little bit shy of Aaron Judge's uh ridiculous home run pace in the month but everything else it seemed like was uh going to Austin Riley and I think when you have two players going at it like this where it's like these two guys are almost competing in a way to see who could be more impressive throughout a month that makes it uh, it makes it really enjoyable to sit back and just watch and see these numbers rack up because I think Bowman's been able to write this guy like so many times this month one and each time it's like all right let me just do a little quick intro and then list every single accolade that he's racked up every single record he's setting and all of the names of the people he's joining and the company that he's in how much fun is that to be able to watch I mean it's incredible he set a Braves record for extra base hits in a calendar month. This is a franchise that had Henry Aaron, Chipper Jones, Eddie Matthews, Andrew Jones, you name it. They have had a rich, rich history of offensive players. And nobody had ever had 26 extra base hits in a month. And by the way, that's a more than Aaron Judge had. Judge had all of those homers, but not so much with the doubles or anything else. And it's really cool because, you know, last year we had the top three in MVP in both leagues were all on teams that did not make the playoffs. And this year, it seems like the only guy who's really likely to finish top three who won't make the playoffs is Shohei Otani in the American League. But in the National League, you're looking at guys like Austin Riley, Paul Goldschmidt with the Cardinals likely making, P. Alonzo on the Mets. Uh, I'm going off the top of my head. I'm sure there's someone on the Dodgers, whether it's Trey Turner or Mookie Betts. But the fact that this year the top performers are on the best teams, that's really good for the game. And that's nothing to take away from Bryce Harper last year. What an amazing season. Got the Phillies to the doorstep of the playoffs, but didn't quite get in. Juan Soto finished second, had a great year on a bad Nationals team. But it's really fun that Austin Riley is doing this for a Braves team that got off to a bad start and is now in the driver's seat, at least to be a wild card. You know, they've hovered near the Mets. We talked about that last week with making up that deficit. 
They'll play them a bunch over the next week or so, so we'll see if they can make up that deficit. But regardless, they're in a really good spot for the postseason, and Austin Riley is a huge part of why. And you know, I actually filled in for Bowman in New York right around when Riley was called up, a couple weeks into his major league career. And I remember talking to him, it was right around when pitchers were starting to kind of figure him out. It's just really great to see him thriving now. It's been over the last two seasons. You know, Keith Law at The Athletic wrote a really good story that I feel like I mention daily about how Austin Riley completely retrained himself on how to see pitches, especially with two strikes. And I believe this was something he did entering 2020, and it completely revamped his plate discipline. And that's been what's really helped him. He's not just this big slugger who is striking out all the time, but he's taking good at-bats, taking good pitches, and really in control of each plate appearance. Yeah, like you sort of said, I mean, it's really fun to watch guys whenever they're doing incredible things, but it's, we've had times where you see Mike Trout do incredible things. You see Shohei Otani do incredible things. You see these guys who can really grab the headlines and are are some of the most exciting players in the game, but their team isn't isn't in contention and their team isn't as competitive as you would imagine it would be with some of these players. So it's even more fun to see the impact that he's made on his team as they're trying to compete this year. And they're trying to make sure that they're in this division race and they're trying to uh, crawl back into it, which they have. Um, I mean, he set the tone at the beginning of the month. I think it was his first plate appearance of the month that he hit a home run and then in the middle of it, he had his first career walk-off. Um, and then, uh, what was it? Was it, he ended it yesterday, right? He ended it at the, yeah. the end of the single. month with an, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he had another walk-off in, at the end. So to have that complete beginning, middle of an end of a of a really, really cool story in July, uh, I, I know that every month the writers vote on players of the month, pitchers of the month, all these types of things. Hard to believe if it would be anyone other than him right now for the NL, but that was as complete of a 31-day span as anyone could possibly have. Totally. And again, you know, I think of the Braves and their franchise. They had Freddie Freeman. I know we've talked at length, not you and I, but just media in general about his departure from Atlanta, all of that. And not to get back into that, but there is so much to be said for the way that the Braves develop players. Think about going from Freddie Freeman as your, I mean, going from Chipper Jones as your homegrown star to Freddie Freeman and now seamlessly to Austin Riley. I mean, there is not another team that has a lineage like that. I think the Dodgers are getting there, and they do develop players incredibly well. But I'm not sure that they have a string of years in the same way that the Braves have. I mean, going back to the beginning of Chipper Jones' career, you have all of these have overlapped. There's been no lapse in having that MVP candidate 
was a homegrown player. And I just think that is so inordinately impressive for this franchise. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be a lot more talk that we have where we talk about a, some other impressive players and who else can be a um, face of a franchise and uh, maybe Juan Soto uh, coming up here shortly. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, you don't know which franchise that might be. We're trying to figure that out as we speak. We can step aside real quick. We can uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we can get into why the heck Juan Soto has taken over the baseball world, why everyone cares so much about what uh, his future holds. And then as we sort of already alluded to in the first two topics here, the division races are close. Some. Some are pretty much decided. What does that mean? What does it mean once we get into August uh, how often are these teams able to hold on until the end of the year? Sarah has all the details on that. So when we come back, we can get into so much more fun in baseball. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Lang's researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. I, I think that uh, he, he's sort of taken over the world. But just in case you haven't, his name is Juan Soto. And I think you'll really like him if you just took a couple seconds to look into his stats. Really cool story. He's really young. He's only 23. And... I think you might have seen his name on some lists. Um, yeah, I'm making these jokes because Sarah has basically been a Soto stat machine over the last <laughs> few years. He's been so impressive to watch. I think 2019 was ridiculous because you're sitting there. I remember watching the postseason. I remember watching it on my couch and even tweeting out like, yeah, this Juan Soto guy is pretty good. And uh he, I think there was jokes being made because he couldn't even really drink in the post-game celebrations because he hadn't turned 21 yet. I know he did in the middle of their run, but early on he hadn't yet, which seemed absurd. And uh, he's, he's since then just blown up, has been larger than life. And now, as it's well known across the baseball world, is very much on the trade market. I don't know if it'll happen this year. I don't know if it'll happen in the future, but... 
I think it's important for us to really just break down why it's such a big deal for him to even be available for teams. Um, And for me, I know you have all the stats that back it up and I don't have the concrete information that you have. But for me, I think it takes it to a whole new level because you have a generational talent that is only 23 years old at the point that he's available like this. And we're not used to seeing that. We're used to seeing guys get through so many of their years of control. They get old, like you know, mid twenties, late twenties before they can become available as a free agent before teams are looking to shop them. Uh, he obviously came up so young, so he got a quick start to his career. And so now, um, he's so young whenever they're looking to trade him because they were not able to agree to terms on a a long-term extension. Uh, and so you can look at this guy who's already, caught the baseball world's attention, who has already put up ridiculous numbers and who's already proven to be one of the best in the game. And he might arguably be before his prime question mark. Um, I'm not sure. Like that's, what's crazy to think is that he's so young. He might be, he might be really even just getting into the beginning of his story. So I think that's why he's been such a big deal, but you lay it on us and why exactly he's been such a big deal. Well, first of all, I just want to reiterate what you said. So, we're recording. It's Monday afternoon. By the time you're listening, he may be on another team. He may not be. We may have heard, hey, he's not getting traded right now. Regardless, we just want you to know how good he is. That is the point. How good he is is completely evergreen, even if a trade goes down in the next five minutes. We just want you to know why everyone is talking about him. And I actually think I want to start with how completely unexpected or um, unprecedented a trade would be. So he was an all-star this year. Mm. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, there's never been a player who was an all-star that year at age 23 or younger to change teams mid-season. So no all-star this young has ever changed teams mid-season that year of being an all-star. So he would be the first. So that just gets to the point that players like this do not get traded. And then another approach I took, sort of digging into this with Elias, was to look at guys who have been all-stars at least twice before turning 25. Again, he's 23, and he was an all-star for the second time this year. So there's only been three guys to be an all-star at least twice before turning 25, and then change teams again before turning 25. Mike McCormick, a pitcher, Miguel Cabrera, and Rusty Staub. And all of them changed teams in different ways. I mean, these were all trades, but those were also some pretty huge moments. You know, I think most people think of Miguel Cabrera when they are trying to make a comparison here. But Cabrera was older. He was a year older. And... That was, I mean, I guess it's a similar situation. You know, he had won the World Series with the team, but 
Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball. I mean, I just cannot get that across enough. I know his batting average doesn't look great this year. I tend to look beyond that. His rate of hard contact per swing is second in the National League. We care about hard contact because hard contact leads to really good results. And if we go to historic stats, I mean, I can just start listing them now. But he has a 159 OPS plus in his career. OPS plus 100 is league average, so that's 59% better than league average over the course of his career. There are only five guys to have a better OPS plus through their age 23 season, and they are Ted Williams, Ty Cobb, Mike Trout, Sam Musial, and Albert Bulls. Those are all Hall of Famers. Mike Trout and Pools aren't in there yet, but they will be. And Williams, Cobb, and Musial have been there for a while. It's just incredible to get off to a Hall of Fame start to a career. And to that point, Miguel Cabrera, outstanding player, first ballot Hall of Famer. But he's not on that list. He's a little lower down in the 140s. So just to the point that a player of this caliber has not been traded in this way. And he's become such an enormous deal because of all of those things. And so every franchise across baseball, if you get the idea that he might be available, who wouldn't want that in their lineup? And it's just going to end up being, well... Can this medium market teams like I know everyone keeps asking me for Cleveland, like Cleveland fans are like, what about Soto? And it's just the trade could be there. You can make the trade. But so many teams have to think more than that because medium market teams or small market teams might be able to handle his arbitration years, but cannot handle beyond that whenever he's going to become a free agent. Because think about the extension, say he would land with a different team to say he would be with someone who could see a future with him and can write that big check. Think about the amount of money, the record breaking deal that he would get. This is why he's on pace to do that, because this is why he will earn eventually, whether it's this year and this offseason, if he can come to some sort of an extension with the team or if it's you wait till he becomes a free agent and you get to that point. No matter when it's going to be, he's going to have some record-breaking deal because you don't witness it. And that's what, like Sarah was saying, you don't get to the point of having all of these accolades, having all of these stats to support it, and you get traded at this age, and you get traded at this point in your career. Um, People don't let talent like this go very frequently, and it just speaks to the level of talent that he has. It speaks to the level of competition that he's been able to hold himself to. And it's just been, it's been really impressive. And I keep going back to it because it's mind boggling to me. He might not even be in his prime yet. And so if you imagine that getting better, I think that is what makes it to the point of this could be even more record-breaking if it's sooner rather than later because so many times like the big stars are signing these big deals after their primes because that's when they hit free agency. You don't you don't get there until like late 20s. Um, and so if you have a chance to do this before he gets there, 
Uh, and really any team could be in on it. And they're all trying to figure out the best figures, the best uh, pitch that they could make to him eventually. Uh, that's pretty fun. And that's pretty special. And my gosh, imagine to have the power that Juan Soto would have in that moment. How cool would that be? So cool. And, you know, I love that you use the word fun because something else that isn't on all of these stats but is very much worth mentioning is that he is a fun player. He has the Soto Shuffle. He now has his own logo with that Soto Shuffle kind of image on his cleats. And, you know, he is a fun player to watch. I know his defense has been a bit of a conversation lately, has not been good this year. But at the plate, the way he takes pitches, the way he swings when he does swing, all of it. He is so much fun to watch. And we saw at the Home Run Derby just how much fun he has and how much respect and whatever you want to say he has for the game, how much he loves the game. And nothing is better than watching a player who loves the game that much. So that is just such an important part as well. You know, the Nationals Twitter account, of course, they tweet about Soto a lot. He's the best player on the team. He's one of the best players in baseball. It makes sense. But I just feel like so much of it is moments of him interacting with fans, doing amazing things, smiling, joking around with his teammates before a game. And so many players do this, but to have all this pressure on him and to be so good and still have the time to be a fun player, it's really, really important and really impressive. You brought up the All-Star break. He... I can't remember who was pitching, and you probably will because you're the baseball encyclopedia, but um, he was in the box during the All-Star game, and I th- he I think there was, like, an inside pitch or something, and he jokingly, like, stared the pitcher down. Um, I can't remember who was pitching in that moment, but, like, that news had just broken right before the All-Star break that he was going to be turning down the $440 million uh extension that they had they had offered him the timing of that was awful for him I'm sure because you go then to baseball's biggest stage in the middle of the season and all the national attention is on you for what's going to happen next when you just want to enjoy the game and I'm sure you just want to have fun like everyone else does um but to have that pressure in front of all of those eyes and to then just be able to be that fun it's hard not to be jovial when you're 23 playing this game, but that fun, jovial approach to the game that he has. Um, it was very funny to see him staring down at the mound whenever he was he was pitched a little inside. And then, I can't, again, can't remember for the life of me who was pitching, but I just remember both of them started busting up laughing right after he did that because it was just like they knew it wasn't serious and he was trying to make light of the moment. And, and that's, what's so fun about the all-star game as we talked about two weeks ago, whenever we did our episode on that. But, um, I think that he could just bring so much fun to a team on top of what he can provide with his skills. 
100%. And there was also the moment where uh, Alec Manoa was mic'd up and he was facing Acuna. And Acuna mm. did a little stare down. And he said, don't sort of shuffle me or something <laughs> like that. You know, it has that over overreaching kind of uh, mm-hmm. quality across baseball where everyone knows that about him in the best way. Yep, and I, I mean, there's not, there's not much else to say. I think it's just really important to watch where he goes, to watch what happens with his career. No matter where it is, no matter when moves happen, he's just going to be a fun player to watch for decades now. I'm sure he could be someone who plays the game for a very long time. So um, it's been it's been enjoyable, and I'm excited to see how this plays out over the next, what is it, however many hours until we get to the trade deadline. But regardless, he's good. Summary, he's good. Um, Very good. But now we're but now we're in August. And yes, the trade deadline is here, but that also means we're getting closer to the end of the season. I know baseball extends into October this year, the regular season does. So we've just about two months left of the regular season. And so you get into this time of the year, and now suddenly it makes more sense to be scoreboard watching. It makes more sense to start focusing on magic numbers. It makes more sense to start looking at all of this because I felt like throughout this whole season, especially in the AL Central, because that's what I focus on, it's been so close because it's not very good. Um, it's It's been so close, and so everyone's like, oh, well, how many games back are they? And I'm thinking, it's June. Like, why are we concerned about that? Because so much can change. Well, now that it's August 1st, I'm like, all right, what's what's the st- what are the standings looking like? Because suddenly it's just that flip is a fl- flip of a switch. And I know that you um, just did an article about this of like what it means to be in first place on August 1st. I did. So this is something I do for MLB.com every year and pretty much every month, taking a look at the division leads and how often teams in first place entering that month go on to win the division. So since 1996, which was the first full season with at least one wild card in each league, 111 of the 150 eventual division champs held at least a share of their division lead entering August. So that's 74%, so almost 75% there, almost three quarters of the time. So... If you take a look at the standings, the teams leading right now, basically most of them will likely go on to win. And you mentioned how the AL Central has been pretty close. And that's actually the closest division we have right now. But there are three teams that are leading by 10 plus. So it's only the third time in that span since 95, 96 around the wild cards where we've had three teams leading by at least 10 games entering August. And it's very interesting, you know, it kind of plays into the trade deadline, the level of competition, everything we've seen. And it's fascinating because certain divisions are very tight. And then there are these divisions that are more spread out. Overall, I think it's really good that we're going to have that other wild card because I think, you know, even if you are one of those teams trailing by 10 plus games right now, you're still in wild card contention. The Rays, the Blue Jays, 
these teams trailing the Yankees, for instance, the Mariners trailing the Astros, are still looking at, okay, we can get into the postseason. And that's important for the game, for hope, for all of that, and also for the movement that we will see at the trade deadline. Yeah, and I think it, I think like you said, like, Having that extra wild card team, having this expanded postseason format is going to be, I think, interesting in a way. And it, it sort of allows every team to feel like they still have a chance. Um, obviously, not every team, because there's some guys who have found themselves really, really out of it. Um, but uh, but but no, it's just it's making all these races seem more important. It's making all of these races seem uh close and within reach because there's still two months left of the season and I think that maybe that extra that extra team has played an effect on the slow pace to the trade deadline this year because so many teams are wanting to be buyers rather than sellers and add extra pieces to their roster to try to help stay in contention this year I know Cleveland coming into the year wasn't expecting to be in this position where they could possibly be winning the division I, I know every projection out there had them almost in last place because they are so young and uh having so much turnover but the White Sox they've struggled this year but they're still within the division race because again this division has been a little bit rough um but because of that it's it's keeping everyone within it and even without that you have that extra spot you have more teams getting into the postseason and so you can't quite give up in a way for a lack of a better phrase on okay well here's what here's what the season is we're not really in it at this point let's turn it around so I think it could be fun I think it could make teams be more competitive this year and throughout the the dog days of the season and you start to see um these division races especially ones that are close maybe start going back and forth and I think I know that the statistics are there to prove that the majority of the time whoever's in first place today will end up winning the division but I don't know maybe there's some more incentive there to try to continue to uh keep battling and I and I think that some of these close ones I know the NL East has been fun the AL Central is close so you have a couple of these that I think could be fun to watch down the stretch And we have a great example, literally last year, of why you don't give up. Look at the Braves last season. They were 52-54 and entering August. They had a 491 win percentage, which was the lowest of any eventual World Series champion entering the month of August. The only other team to be sub-500 entering August and win the World Series was the 1914 Braves, which is a really cool thing that is twice the same uh, franchise, by the way. But that shows you that you shouldn't be giving up. And that does show and gives some more fire to these teams that are kind of on the borderline and not sure if they're buyers or sellers. Last year at the deadline, we saw the Braves completely revamp their outfield. They got Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, and Adam Duvall, essentially to replace the injured Ronald Acuna Jr. 
Soler and Eddie Rosario ended up winning the World Series and NLCS MVP awards. They were the first team to have both of the postseason MVP awards won by players who they had acquired midseason. That is the case in point for why you don't give up. And yes, that's, you know, in all of the years of the World Series, we've had two World Series winners who are below 500 entering August. So yeah, the actual odds are not very high. But the fact that we just saw a team do this and a team, a modern team with players who we've all seen and with current player evaluation, all of that, the fact that we've seen a team do that should be giving those front offices that are kind of teetering even more uh, encouragement to try to go for it. Yeah, I agree. And it's going to all play out here in front of us and um I'm sure a lot of fan bases will be able to get a vibe of where their team stands and how much they're trying to go for it, especially because more teams are getting into the postseason this year. So um, can't emphasize that enough. But I think uh, I think we'll learn a lot more in the next 24 plus hours from the time that we've recorded this um, and start to figure out where everyone stands. Uh, But I do think it's probably time for us to get to our favorite segment of the week. Uh, So let's. I think I'm still between a couple things as usual. Um, so I, I might need a hot second here to uh, look through my phone and determine uh, which one I want to choose here. Um, so we're, when we come back, we can get into our absolute favorite moments from the week in baseball, whether it be on the field or off the field. So when we come back, we will reveal those and, you know, talk about the fun in baseball. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And it is time for our favorite segment of every single week, where we find our favorite moments from baseball over the past seven days. And whether it be on the field, off the field, something that we stumbled upon on social media, something that we watched play out live in front of us when we were watching a game, whatever it may be, we just don't want to tell each other before we get onto the segment because we like to surprise each other. And I know at some point we are going to have the same thing and it's going to happen, but you seem pretty confident it won't be this week. I really don't think so because I was all set, ready to go knowing what I was going to say. And then my mother, a huge baseball fan, sent me a text like, you know, five minutes before we were recording and not intentionally trying to sway this or anything. Just something that she saw that she thought was really cool. And I was like, oh, wow, 
that's my thing. So, A. Ray Adrianza, who was a, you know, uh, utility infielder for the Nationals, was traded earlier today back to the Braves where he actually won a World Series last year. Now, my mom has a special interest in him because he came up with the Giants. He uh, was on the team for four years, 2013 to 16. She is a big Giants fan. He's one of those players who's kind of, you know, the utility guy you really root for. So whenever she sees something about him, it's going to kind of, you know, ring a bell for her. So she sends me the tweet that says he's been traded. And then she sends me a screenshot from Ken Rosenthal's column on The Athletic this morning. It is the final item at the end of this, you know, trade deadline update column. And it says, and finally, infielder A. Ray Adrianza might one day be in the middle of the action of the deadline, but not as a player. Adrianza wants to become a general manager, and to that end, he is taking sport management courses online through the Honors College at Miami-Dade College. The classes run during the school year on Mondays and Wednesdays from 8 a.m. to noon. While these hours can be difficult for a major leaguer, Adrianza says the work helps take his mind off baseball. I love this. This is amazing. That's incredible. Right? And he just got traded at the deadline, so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, in-season work as well. But I just thought this was really fun. And, you know, there's certainly former players who have taken on general manager roles overall throughout baseball. And certainly I think of the WBC. Eduardo Perez is the general manager of Team Puerto Rico right now. I believe the previous GM was Alex Cora. So there are plenty of former players who do this. But I had no idea that A. Ray Adrianza was interested in this. And I'm so glad that I know. I love this nugget from Ken Rosenthal. And thanks to my mom for texting me. Yeah, shout out Mama for that one because that's yes. awesome. I, I had no idea that that was a thing. I did not even see that. So that was really, really cool. Um, I love that. I think that's so much fun. And I might need a little bit of help from you on this one for okay. mine because I didn't get to see this. All I saw was from you on Twitter. Um, it was my favorite moment from the week that I had seen on Twitter and to the point where I mentioned Zach Meisel before, like I stopped what we were doing and I was like, you need to look at this, um, when we were traveling yesterday. Okay. There was a dog on a paddleboard. It looked like it was just like a paddleboard. It wasn't even like a, like a legit, like little kayak or canoe or whatever it might have been to give him a little more space there was a dog outside of oracle out in the water this dog was the star of sunday baseball (laughs) last night so while you guys were traveling this dog was shown first on the paddleboard for anyone who didn't see big fluffy dog kind of like whitish face black fur very fluffy pink little um like bow oh, looking I believe. thing yeah and then i think a brandon belt captain hat potentially 
So we and then saw a giant's bandana. Yes. So we saw the dog on the paddleboard. And then ending later, the great camera crew at ESPN finds the dog and the paddleboard has been taken onto a boat. So now the dog is on a boat with a bunch of people. And the most impressive thing we saw from this dog was that people on the boat were eating. They were eating hot dogs. And this dog was so well behaved that there were hot dogs <laughs> being passed over his or her head and all around. And the dog was intently focused on something else and not trying to eat the food, which is very impressive for anyone who spent uh, two minutes around any dog. This dog was amazing, star of the show, and adorable. Also, huge. Like, if you yes. look at the size of yes. the dog's head, very big. I think I would lose in a fight with this dog. Oh, you, you definitely would. I'm just going to, um, yeah. This yeah. dog was enormous. I couldn't believe the photo. You put a screenshot up. It was one of your baseballs, the best tweets. And I could not believe, I said, I looked at Zach, I said, look at this dog. This dog's outside of the ballpark. Like, what, what, one, how, how did you get your dog out there to begin with and get him or her to balance onto this paddleboard and then to swim out to sea here without rocking him over? I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Because that dog is very dry. I know there was no incidents yeah. where the dog was flipped into the water or anything. And it's a very fluffy dog. So it would look like a drowned rat if it was knocked into the water. Um, loved that. Thought that was so fun. Um, I had another thing that I just wanted to mention. It didn't quite work for this because there wasn't really a moment. But when I was in Tampa Bay, one of the promotional giveaways was a Brett Phillips basketball jersey. Um, and, you know, I, I know you know, but I, I think that Brett Phillips is one of the best things for baseball. He's not... <laughs> how do I put this? He's not probably the best player on the field um statistically i think whenever I, going into the game that he had his jersey giveaway he was hitting like 144 so probably not breaking any records like we've seen austin riley or aaron judge do but i think his personality is what baseball needs i think yeah. he's so fun for the game and so he of course in typical brett phillips fashion was so hyped for his jersey day um it was very funny because you had some of his teammates out wearing the jerseys during warm-ups um it looked ridiculous and it was incredible it was like this black and purple pinstripe type um cut off like legit basketball jersey um but what made it even cooler for me was that that day he took an hour post game to go to the concourse and sign for every fan who wanted one or like wanted an autograph um so to me, this isn't like really a moment that I really like there wasn't really a concrete moment there. There wasn't really anything shared on Twitter about it, but it was something that I saw. And that's whenever I was like, OK, this is this is why this guy's great for the game. This is what we need in baseball. The time to take aside to just address fans, especially on a day that your promotion's given away to be able to sign for everyone who wanted it. You, you know, he's not leaving. He, they said he'd be out there for an hour. He's not leaving before there's like, if there's fans still waiting for him, an incredible personality for baseball, a guy who gets why this game is so important to people and gets the meaning that fans drive it. Fans are what drives this game and what's allowing it to continue to prosper. And so, 
um, loved that. Loved his excitement for the day. I don't know if there's ever been a day that he's not excited for, but I loved his excitement, especially for his jersey that day and the time that he took to sign for everybody. So I thought that was really cool. He's the poster boy for the idea that baseball is the best. So I love that. That's awesome. Yes, exactly. And so, okay, I think I, I, I you let me sneak away with two there because I did. Uh, you know, I did. I, You've let me get away with two, <laughs> probably in each of the first four episodes. So all you this time. Okay, all right. I'll try to I'll try to make sure that I uh, can narrow it down to one next week. But that'll do it for this week's podcast. Another fun one. Enjoy every single week that we get to talk about baseball together. So this was a, a, another blast. But don't forget to miss our, or please, gosh, don't don't say don't forget to miss. Don't miss an episode uh, by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're enjoying this show, please leave us uh, ratings, reviews. If you have suggestions, we're open to absolutely everything. And we want to hear from you as much as we can at Mandy Bell 2 and at Slangs on Sports on Twitter. So feel free to reach out to us. Uh, thank you all for listening once again to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we will see you next week.